much like sometimes in this walk for many years we think it's about being good but we don't realize time that the freedom we have in the spirit and the freedom we have in our identity in Christ and what does that mean and I'm hoping we're going to do this series that kind of breaks some of that that you begin to have an intimacy with God that you never had before so I want to encourage you uh, that we're going to enter that starting next week freedom in Christ as we look at about 10 statements I'm going to bring up and that we're going to study each of those out of the scriptures through the book of Romans so we'll look at that so hey we're going to bounce around a, a couple of different verses as you see it this morning my sermon title is focused on evangelism near and far you know, politics has been the major focus this past year. In this political season, we've heard opposing views, two candidates revealing their perspectives about where they stand. In some sense, they represent two kingdoms, the red and the blue. Almost, almost like gangster-like, you know what I mean? Their mission, their mission to get people to vote for their respective parties. We saw commercials, bumper stickers, social media advertisements to draw people in. People were unashamed to express their candidate on social media, in the public square or wherever anyone would listen. Each had a commitment to the party, a man, and a philosophy. Let me tell you something. In the same way the church has a mission and should not be ashamed to share it. There are two opposing teams, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And we have committed ourselves to this eternal king. We have been the, given the task to proclaim a message of hope to the one who we represent, which is Jesus himself. We are called to share his kingdom perspective, his loving philosophy, and his eternal plan to others. Each of us as followers of Jesus Christ are called to the ministry of reconciliation, beseeching individuals to be reconciled to God. We are a spokesperson. This mission is called evangelism. Looking, guys, as we're concluding our sermon series, we've been looking at our E4 purpose as a church because our mission really is to see communities transformed by following the biblical Jesus. And we believe that there are four ways, but by we as a church are called to do that. And we called it our E4 purpose. First of all, we're to express our love. We talk about expressing our love to God and expressing our love to one another. Then we're called to equip the believer, right? We're called to equip and give you the tools that you would have to follow and walk with God. Last week, we talked about empowering service, that we're empowered to go out and, and go do the work for the kingdom, and we looked at that last week. And this morning, we're talking about evangelism, how we're to evangelize near and far, that we've been given a mission and a purpose as a church. And so I'm going to focus on that this morning. We're going to focus on three things this morning as we look at. We're going to look at our mission, we're going to look at our message, and we're going to look at our method. We're going to look at those three things this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love, your blessings, your goodness, and your mercy, and your grace. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we deal with the issue of evangelism to proclaim. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray this morning, Lord, you would stir us to have a love for the lost, for those that maybe don't understand who you are. Father, you've given us a mission as a church. You've given us a purpose as a church. You gave us the great commission in, in 28, and then you give us the great commandment in 22 of Matthew. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that, Father, you would equip us through your word, that you would empower us by your spirit, that we would fulfill the mission that you called us to do. And I pray, Lord, this is, a, this is a cry out, a call out to your soldiers, your workers, Lord, that we haven't forgotten your mission and we haven't forgotten your purpose of why you came. You gave it to the disciples to pass it on to us. You gave it as they received it to pass it on to us that we may pass it on to others. And we pray that we would learn and grow in our time together. 
that, Father, your kingdom would expand and you would be magnified. So we thank you, we praise you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody says? Amen. Guys, I said we're going to look at three things this morning, and the first one is our mission. The first one is our mission. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts is the book written to the church. It's the history of the church, how the church was birthed, how the church came to be. The author is the apostle, a disciple named John, I mean, a disciple named Luke, who wrote this book, and it's really our history as a church. But at the very beginning, he talks about this history. He talks about this beginning. And so we're going to look at that a little bit this morning. You may be very familiar with the Pixar movie, The Incredibles. It's about a suburban family of four with superhero powers who are mandated by the government to refrain from using their supernatural powers. But because of the evil around them, they couldn't stand back and do nothing. So they used their supernatural powers to save the world. The whole family was committed to the mission to defeat evil. We as God's people have been empowered to do incredible feats to save the world. We have been empowered to sit back. We have been empowered not to sit back, but to go forth to be an answer to a world who is in need of a savior. We have been empowered for a mission, and Luke reveals this mission in his writing. And Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's a famous verse. If you've been in the church, you've heard this verse many, many times. But the first thing is we talk about this morning, really, our, 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 our mission, our purpose, or the message, message here. We are supernaturally empowered for a mission. God has given us a power for this. He's gifted us a power. Jesus here has shared with the disciples that he needed to go that a number would come. Throughout the Gospels, he spoke about that. I got to go that another come. That to go was to leave and be with his heavenly father, but he was going to leave us something. He was going to leave us his spirit. He was going to give us his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit, which was going to be the power by which we could live. We know that John the Baptist was the forerunner for Christ. John came introducing Christ to the world. He came introducing that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was the agent here of light to the world. And he said this, that I baptize you with water, but another will come, will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He's foreshadowing about what was to come. He's foreshadowing about what was going to happen in Acts chapter 1-8. You remember, prior to Jesus leaving, he, he, he died and was buried, rose again on the third day, and he was on this earth really for 40 days. And in that time, he gave the disciples a commission to and really it was toward the 120 to go waiting in, a, in an upper room and that they were going to receive a gift. And that gift was going to be the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus ascends into the heavens. These men gather and, and the women and the men and, and, and the 70 and the, and the, and, and the men, women. And it's all up in this upper room. They're having church, but they've been praying for 10 days. We've been praying for 21 days. They were praying for 10 days and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they begin to speak in tongues, and it was like fire, it was like a rushing wind. It was an experience that the gift had fallen upon them. That gift was the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in order to launch and birth the church. See, when God gives us something, he, he, never, he doesn't just get, tell us to do something. He empowers us, and he, and he gives us the tools, and he equips us to fulfill his mission. He never leaves us hanging. He gives us everything we need to do his work, and we're seeing that's what's happening here. John baptized with water, it says. 
But he said, I'm not even worthy to tie the shoe, but the one coming will baptize you with the Spirit. We believe in baptism. We're going to do that this afternoon. We believe in immersion baptism. I mean, we believe that we take somebody and we put them in the water, we dip them in the water, and we bring them back out of the water. Full immersion is the symbolic of the death, burial, resurrection, that we bury you. The old life is buried, that you raise to a new life. The picture is full immersion, right? What he's saying here, guys, is that I want you to be fully immersed in the Spirit. I want you to be fully baptized in my Spirit because that's where the power is. We will not be able to fulfill his mission unless, what? We're immersed in the Spirit. God has to be within us to show his power. And so we have to understand that he's giving this picture here as it talks about this power, right? It's the Holy Spirit power to be witnesses. It's the, it's the fact the word power here means, is the Greek word dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. We have explosive Power, dynamite, power. It's the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave. That's the power that we have. That's the power that's within us. That's the gift that God gives us. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's his Holy Spirit living in us that we have this power to fulfill his mission and his purpose. We cannot go out and be testament witnesses without his power. We cannot. We're going to spin our wheels. We're going to get exhausted. We're going to get tired. We're not going to see fruit. We need the spirit within us to fulfill that. The power is what the witness is needed. It's what we need. We need that power. We need that power for, for living. Listen, before Jesus even began his public ministry, he was baptized with water and the Holy Spirit came upon him. In fact, we read about that in Acts chapter 10. It testifies of that. It says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Jesus began his ministry by being baptized physically and baptized spiritually. It says the Holy Spirit came upon him and then he went into the wilderness when he was tempted and then he began to preach about the kingdom of God. He, even, even the second person of the Trinity needed that power in order to fulfill his public ministry. If God needed that power in the flesh, how much more do we need that power in the flesh? We need that power in order to do the work of God. In fact, Paul described his preaching by this way because he talked about the power. He said, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. I didn't give you my opinions. I didn't give you my thoughts. He says, but demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, I pray this morning, and I prayed this morning when I got up and I was reviewing my message. God, give me power this morning to proclaim it in such a way that the hearers hear. Give me power this morning in such a way that the, the one who's listening, whether you're online or whether you're here with us, that you get touched by the power of God. We need God's power to fulfill his mission. Listen, I could buy a refrigerator, take it all home, and put all, what, my food in it, my steak, the stuff I'm going to be eating this week, everything that's going to go in there to keep it fresh. I could bring it all in there, but if I don't plug it in, that refrigerator is useless until it's connected to the power. Listen, you have to be connected to the power source. Why are you stumbling in your faith? Why are you stumbling with trouble? Why are you stumbling with struggles and, and the things you're battling with? Because maybe you haven't connected to the power source yet. That power source is available to all. It's a gift for all of us. But then you have this power source, right? 
And he says, this is what I want you to do. I didn't just give you power for the sake of power, but I gave you power to be my witnesses. I gave you my power to be my witness. And then he begins to, to lay out a strategy of being a witness here. First, we are to bear witness of Jesus. What is a witness? In fact, the witness is somebody who he testifies that which he knows to be true. When you go on to a witness stand, they, they call you to a witness stand for what? To bear witness of what you've seen or to bear testimony of what you know, what you thought and interpreted. And they, they, you, you share that. That's what a, a witness does. Guys, we are to be witnesses, not judges. I want you to hear me again. I want us to be witnesses and not judges. A lot of times the church are more judging than they are witnessing. Okay, my job is to bear testimony of the things of God's truths. My job is to bear witness of what he's spoken. I leave the judgment to God. Because all of us are going to face the judgment seat. The unbeliever and the believer, we're all going to stand before God. So my challenge is we do not need to be afraid because what do we hear? Oh, the church is so judging. I don't need to be judging. I don't need to be the spiritual policeman. The Holy Spirit does just fine with that. But we are to be witnesses. We are to testify. But here, let's go a little deeper with what that word means, right? In the Greek, that word witness actually is the word martyr, so you get the word martyr. In fact, you're to, you to be a witness and such that could even lead unto death. That the word witness here is to lay down your life for the testimony of Christ. To bear witness means, you know, yeah, I know we sometimes we're afraid to testify. We're afraid to share. But Paul and, and, and Luke uh, in the writing here is saying, let me tell you that the men that we're going to hear about in Acts chapter, the book of Acts, lay down their lives to give testimony. They're willing to sacrifice their lives. That's the importance and the reality of what was going on here. Because there would be persecution Stephen would be persecuted and killed because he testified. He became a martyr, right? James and John, James became a martyr as he gave testimony. We know that many of the disciples, when they gave testimony, ended up dying for this faith. They ended up dying and, and they were martyred for the faith, for the testimony and bearing witness of who Jesus was. So we know that at times there can be a cost. Maybe in this country, we don't experience it, but in other countries, you end up dead for bearing witness. And so he's saying here, the witness can be costly. The witness can be dangerous. But he says here, but let me tell you, the, 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 in this whole mission, there's a, there's a strategy. And I want you to expand this mission. He says that when you, be, you have power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and, on the, and unto the ends of the earth. Very interesting strategy if you see it here. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts. You just see kind of steps here that he gives us. It's actually the same thing if you study the Gospel of John. If you study uh, the, the Gospel here in chapters 2 to 4, that's the exact method by which Jesus took when he began to do his public ministry. In fact, if you study the book of Acts, that's actually the geographical outline of the book of Acts. How they started Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts. You, you see the, the before and you see the after as you look at Acts 1.8. There was geographical ministries that took place, guys. That the kingdom of God needs to be geo geographically started in different places. And we see it laid out here. He says in Jerusalem, which I call it local missions. Local missions. You know where our witness begins first and our testimony begins first? Starts in our own homes. Starts in our own homes. It starts in our own communities here. It, it, you know, our witness begins in our neighborhood locally. 
our next door neighbors. Sometimes we don't have to cross the sea. We just got to cross the street. Okay, sometimes it just starts there. You know, the hardest place to do testifying is even in our own homes. Sharing with our own families. It took me many, many years for my, my parents to come to faith. But it wasn't without his oppositions and, and without his trials and without his tribulations. You know why it's hardest in the home? Because people know who you are. <laughs> and, they know, and they know what you've done. So they have a rap sheet on you, your family, right? And so that's why the hardest, it's hardest to bring testimony, witness to in your own home. But God starts, parents, you have a, you have a responsibility to, to pour into your children about who Jesus is. Your first ministry of discipleship is with your own family. Dads and moms, you're the heads of those homes and your ministry starts there. So he talks about Jerusalem. Then he says Judea. Judea may be our regional missions, right? Jesus did work in that region, right? John the Baptist in that region came and baptizing in that region. That region kind of is like our state, the state of California. That's our region. We need to be praying for it. We need to pray like we talked about workers for the harvest, laborers for the harvest in this nation, praying for this region, praying for this nation, praying for church planning, praying for work to be across this state. And what God wants to do, expanding the kingdom and working that process out. That is the, the region. How about, and it goes to Samaria. I call that the national missions, right? Nationals, looking at our country as a whole. Lord, you need your kingdom. Your, we need to bear witness not only locally and in the state, but in the nation, right? The, Samaria was a, a region where we find Samaritans that were half Jews, half Gentiles, it was a very mixed community. Remember the woman at the well was a Samaritan woman, a religious woman. We live in, in some ways a religious country. I'm not saying a Christian country. I'm saying a religious country, okay? A, lot, a spiritual country. A lot of people use a lot of different terms. and They come with a lot of different, it's very diverse, right? In that country, we know in, in that state when Jesus did ministry to Samaritan woman, Christ presented her his words and offered her living water. And many Samaritans came to know who Christ was by the testimony and witness of this very woman who came to Christ at the well. Who are the people in our, where we got to go and serve our nation? Our country needs to hear the gospel. And then he says, to the end of the earth. I call that world missions. World missions, right? Guys, Early on, when you study the book of Acts, you only got to jump to Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came in one, and then Peter comes up and begins to give the greatest sermon ever. And 3,000 people came to know Jesus. Imagine 3,000 in one day in the early church came to know Jesus. Remember, they're in Jerusalem. They just had Passover. So there was mass people there for the Passover. And Peter begins to speak with power. But you got to understand what? 50 days earlier, he's denying Jesus. He had no power. He denied him three times, but then he empowers him. He preaches, and he's preaching to a Jewish culture. So when you look at his sermon, he tells a lot of history about the Jewish culture. He talks about the coming Messiah. He talks about all these different things, and, and the people that would have been there because they were Jewish would have understood the language of that time. 
They would have understood the stories. By the time you get through the book of Acts, you get to Acts chapter 17 and on, it changes a little bit. Paul comes on the scene. He's got empowered to begin to be a witness to the Gentile world. The Gentile world didn't know a lot about the history of Jewish people, didn't know a lot about the Old Testament, didn't know a lot about creation. They were a Greek culture. They were a knowledgeable culture. They, they, they knew a lot about many, many different things. And so when Paul again began to empower to preach and bear witness, he didn't tell Old Testament stories, but he began to look at their pagan gods and talk about an unknown God and talk about philosophers, and he began to speak the language of the people of that day. When we have power, we need to begin to say, God, give me the words to speak the language of my day so that people under, understand clearly what the gospel is. And we begin to see that here. To, to the world, we begin to see that. We have this, this mission that we've been given. He's given us power to bear witness to the whole world, starting at home and moving outward. But here's the second thing. If we're bearing witness, what are we saying? What's our message, number two? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll look at verses here, 1 through 4. You know, we listen to the news and all we hear is bad news, news about the pandemic, the death count, news about failing economy and businesses closing, now about our troubled political system. We're all tired and fatigued by bad news. We need some good news. You know, this year with everything being so tight, I had to take my car in to get maintenance. I needed to get an oil change, I needed my wheels, I needed some stuff to be done, so I, I had to go to, so I dropped my car off to be maintenance. And then I, I left and I got a call and I said, hey, my car's ready. And so what happens, I came and I was expecting to, to pay the debt I owed to get what the car needed to be fixed and money needed to pay to, to get it fixed. And I go in and so I get there to, to pay it. And then the person, the mechanic there that I go to said, hey, Pete, you don't need to pay. In fact, on our books, we have credited an account for you. Your account has been credited. You already paid in advance. And so you owe me nothing. You can take your car. I was like, hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Okay? You know what I mean? Let me tell you something. That's the gospel. We were broken by sin. We didn't have the means to, to fix it for the wages of sin is death. But Christ, by his death, burial, and resurrection, paid the debt we couldn't pay. He covered our shortcomings, our recklessness, and failures. That's good news. That's good news. He paid it in advance. He paid forward by the cross for us. Think about it. We're 2,000, 2,100 years later from the cross. He paid it forward for us. It says here in Corinthians 15 that the gospel was declared. And there's, no, there's benefits to this good news. Look at this in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received in which you stand, but which you also are saved if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. First of all, we're called this morning to declare good news. We're called this morning to declare good news. The word declare means to make known, right? The word gospel means good news. Paul came declaring good news to make known good news. What we have to offer others is good news, and some are not aware of this good news. 
Some are not aware that God paid it forward. Some are not aware and don't understand what that means. And so here, Paul is teaching to the Corinthian church, go declare this good news. Go tell people about this good news. But what's the purpose of declaration? Why are we called to it? What? Because we want people to receive that good news. We want people to accept the good news. See, receiving is a part of being born of the Spirit. We just celebrated Christmas. We just had Christmas. And in there, right, we, we buy gifts for our family members, for our parents, for our kids, or whatever it is that's significant others. And we go and we purchase it. We wrap it. We decorate it. And then on Christmas morning, we give it to that special person so they can receive that gift and open it and partake of it. God is, Jesus is the gift that we're passing on, and it's actually the gift that keeps on giving. It's the gift that we pass on. Unless you receive it, that gift is null and void. It's no good if I buy a gift and then give it to my wife and she doesn't receive it. She could believe the gift there. She could see the gift there. She knows it's there, but if she doesn't receive it, it hasn't been a gift. Here, you're declaring this good news as a gift to give to others, and they need to accept it. See, the gospel is not just about intellect. It must be received. In fact, John 1.12 says this, But as many received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. I hope you caught that in that verse. There's a difference between believe and receive. you got to have both. A lot of people just believe in God. When I share the gospel with people, and, and I know they ain't walking with God, I go, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, so does the devil. And the devil ain't saved. You know what I mean? So does demons. So does Satan. He, they, he, he, they all believe, but that's not saving belief. You got to believe plus and receive in order to be a child of God. That's what we see in John chapter 1, right? Paul shared, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the words of men, but it is truth but the word of God, which so effectively works in you who believe. There has to be receiving. You're declaring about this gospel. We're going to look at that, what that is. You're declaring it right here. You're saying you need to receive it. You need to accept the gift, right? And this gift that the, the Corinthians believe, they stood on it. When they received it, they stood on it. They held to it. They rested in it, right? They were grounded in, in the gospel. They stood firm in the gospel. The grounding is our assurance of our salvation, and we hold these truths to be self-evident. We hold these truths to, to stand on. And Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God of salvation to everyone who believes. He gave his life for this gospel. He declared this gospel. So if we're going out declaring, if we've given uh, this mission to go, to all the regions, we're called to declare. But what are we declaring? What's the message that we're giving? We find that in verses 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says this. This is the content of the gospel. For I declare to you, first of all, that which I also received, okay, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. I love that phrase, according to to the scriptures. Listen, he's not talking about New Testament here because the New Testament hasn't even been really been written. 
What's according to the scriptures? He's actually referencing the Old Testament. He's actually reflecting back. He's going, I'm going to tell you about Jesus through the Old Testament. I'm going to look up Psalm 16 and Psalm 22 and Isaiah 50 to 53. Let's look at those scriptures pointing to the death bearer and the suffering servant. The Old Testament actually is a foreshadow of what is to come in the New Testament. The Old Testament is pointing to the Messiah. The Old Testament is pointing to the death, burial, and resurrection. The Old Testament is pointing to our blessed hope. And Paul began to challenge the, those believers. that I'm going to teach you about Jesus through the Old Testament. This is a, according to the Scriptures. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Paul received it personally. He received the gift, and he's passing on this message. Christ died for our sins, first of all. That's what he says here. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He gave the reason for his death. He gave the purpose for his death. He came to deliver us from our sin. All sin is that we miss the mark. We miss the mark. What does it mean to, by miss the mark? We miss the mark of perfection. What's the mark of perfection? Jesus. Jesus is the mark of perfection. Remember in the Old Testament, we had laws. We called them the Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments were, were, were given to his people because they didn't have law and order. And he set up these laws and orders, and we were to follow them. And four of them were about worshiping God, and six were about serving one another. He actually sums it up in Matthew 22, right? To love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself. That's the breakdown of Exodus chapter 20 of the Ten Commandments. Four about loving God, and six about loving our neighbors, follow these commandments, but we realize that we haven't kept those commandments, right? We violated those commandments. James says we mess up on one of those commandments, we mess them all up. All the law could do for us is show us our need for God, right? Because he says, do not steal in the commandments. How many of us stolen? I've stolen, all right? I five-finger discounted, okay? Listen. All the law could do for me is show me my need for a Savior. If you can live and obey all those laws, then you're Jesus. Because when Jesus talked about the law, he talked different things about the law. What did he say? Do not commit adultery, right? But even if you lust upon a woman, you've already committed adultery. Just say, let's go a little deeper when you get into the, to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. Let's get a little deeper, right? You know what? If you hate your brother... It's as if you already committed murder. Jesus said, let's get, a little, let's get to the root of the problem because the root of the problem is the heart. That's the root of the problem. And so if we think we're, we could obey all those Ten Commandments, you're mistaken. You're going to fall short. James says you, you failed one, you failed in, in all. You failed in all. We have fallen short because we're not perfect, but God is Perfect. We know that sin entered all humanity in the story of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. You can go back and read that. But we all fall short. Romans says we all fall short of, of the glory of God. And so what did sin do? It separated us from God. It made a wall between, it made a, a, a cavern between. We couldn't. And you had God here, and you had man here, and there was a divide. That's what sin, sin divided us from our intimacy and our relationship with God. And so Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection became the bridge. In fact, he's the priest. And the word in Latin for priest is bridge builder. And he became the bridge builder between man and God. But he came because we died. Jesus became flesh. The word became flesh. 
and dwelt among us, we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. And he became flesh, what? To pay for the wages of sin, for the wages of sin is death. He didn't become a sinner, but he paid the wages of sin because he was fully, fully perfect. He took on the whole wrath of God. He took on the whole judgment of God. He took on everything that we should have taken. He took it for us. That's the love of God. That's the compassion of God. That's the, the mercy of God. He came in the, the appearance of man. He put on skin. He was tempted by everything, just like we're tempted, and yet was without sin. It says, he was found in appearance as man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What happened at the cross, there was a, there was a supernatural transaction that took place. That Jesus took all the sins and shame of man, and, 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 and the Father poured his wrath on him. That's, the, that's what he did for us. And so he, he died. He was crucified. He suffered on the cross. He suffered by the hands of men. But we know that he was buried. He died and was buried. Jesus wasn't buried alive, right? The soldiers saw that he was dead. We read that in John 19, 32 and 33, right? He was buried in a tomb purchased by Joseph of Arimathea, a tomb that had never been used. He didn't fall asleep. He didn't pass out. He died. And to be buried means that he died. To be buried means that he, was, he was not, didn't have life. He was lifeless. He had a lifeless body. That's why we celebrate Easter, to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection. He's put in a tomb. We're going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to go to Israel in October. For those who want to go, we're still going to go. We're going to go see where that was and possibly where Golgotha was, which looks like the place of the skull. It actually looks like a skull carved in the side of a mountain where he was crucified outside Jerusalem. But he didn't stay in the grave. He rose again. He resurrected again, right? He defeated death. 2 Timothy 1.10 says this. He has, now been revealed by, he has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and mortality to light through the gospel. And when he rose again, the disciples saw him, women saw him, Peter saw him, over 500 people saw him. The testimony of people who saw him. See, he's the, he's, his death is the payment for our sin and his resurrection is the receipt of that payment. We have a receipt. It happened. It was done. The receipts are important. Throughout the book of Acts, Every gospel message included the death, burial, and resurrection. The significance of, 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 of raising on the third day was a fulfillment of the very words that Jesus spoke. Three times Jesus said, I'm going to die and res again, resurrect again to the disciples. And they didn't understand it. They were fearful of it. We see that in Matthew 16, 21, 17, 23, and 2019, where he shares that what was going to happen in the future. He didn't beat around the bush. He told the disciples, this is what's going to happen. And I'm going to raise again. He was a prophet. He spoke about what was to come. That's what he did. Jesus even references an Old Testament story of Jonah to the point to this fact. Matthew 12, 40 says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the valley of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of earth. According to the scriptures. He spoke about what he was going to do. He prophesied about what he was going to do. Though this is the gospel message, I want to ask one more part to the gospel message because a lot of times we forget this. 
He died. He was buried. He rose again. And he's going to return. I think we forget about that. That he's coming back. We know about the gospel. He's, he's going to come back. That there's a finish line. There's a, there's a crossing line. There's a time where he's going to say, enough's enough. Did not, the gospel, did not in the gospel of John write, in the gospel of John 14, 3, if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, so where I am there you may be also. This is the complete gospel. He came, he died, he was buried, he rose again, and he's coming back. That's the message of the gospel, our message to be reconciled back to God. So we have a mission. We have a message. We have a method. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 through 8. It's over there near the back of your Bibles there. Look at the areas of the T's. They're all gathered. Thessalonians and Timothy, they're all the T section. Not drinking tea, but starting with the letter T. We're going to look at our method as we're going to close here in a minute. The press secretary at the White House has one job, to speak on behalf of the head of state represented in the White House by the president. What he thinks is irrelevant whether he agrees with the president is irrelevant. He, his or her job is to speak on behalf of the president, period. Then he should be ready and willing to take questions from the media. We as believers have the same position. We speak on behalf of Christ, and we must be prepared in season, out of season, to give an answer to everyone who asks of the hope that we have with gentleness and with respect. We have to be ready in season, out of season to preach. We have to be ready to give an answer for the hope. We have to be ready as we're declaring this gospel message, right? Our mission, we are to go. Our message, we are to preach the gospel. Our method, we are to pass on what we have received to others and multiply ourselves. To multiply. We are to pass it on, and then they're to pass it on, right? Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, to, to the church of Thessalonica, right? And that city was very much like our city. It was, a, it was a seaport city, but it was very much in, influenced by Greek mythology, Hercules and Athena. It was a diverse culture mixed with Jews and Greeks living in a polytheistic world like ours. And so when Paul is writing to this church, he's, he, he, we, we can relate because he's writing to a church that's kind of like our culture today, very much like our culture uh, today, right? But here, here's the, the method by which we are to share the gospel. Here's some things I want to leave you with before we close this morning. Number one, first of all, we've been trusted with the gospel, right? It says, but look at verse four, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. So we have to realize this, first of all, we have, begin, we have been approved to represent Christ. We have been given the stamp of approval. And when you, you know when you apply for a job and you get interviewed and you apply and you get accepted, there might be a training thing you might need to take. I remember when I was a security guard, when I was going through college, I had to work as a security guard. But when I applied for the job, I had to study what that job is and I had to take a test for that job in order to understand what the role of a security job is and what my rights were as security. And then I would have to take a test. And once I passed that test, I was stamped approval to be a security You've been, by faith, been stamped approval to be entrusted to represent and been approved to represent Christ. I want you to understand that, first of all. In fact, the word approved means to be tested for its genuineness. What he's saying is, God's already approved you. Your, your faith is for real. Your faith is for real, right? 
In fact, to be t- approved means to, 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 to test a metal. You, you have been through the fire. You have been found faithful. Now you're fit for public service. And you have an office in the kingdom of God. You have been approved for that right now. But not only have we been approved, we have been entrusted by God. You have been assigned the responsibility of sharing the gospel to, to uh, God's word with others. You know what? When Jesus gave the great commission in Matthew chapter 28 to go in all the world to disciple, go to disciple the nations, baptize them in the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I can. He had no other plan. He only had one plan. It was only plan A. There was no plan B. Plan A was passing it on to the disciples, that they would pass it on to others. That was Jesus' vision. That was Jesus' plan. That was Jesus' mission. That was even found in his prayer in John chapter 17. That thinking, that thought that these disciples receive and they're going to pass it on. They're not going to add. They're going to multiply because that, that's a gift that keeps on giving. It says this in John 17, 8 and 20. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. Remember we talked about receiving. And you have known surely that I came from forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Verse 20. And I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. Jesus said, I received from the Father. Paul and disciples, I'm sorry, disciples receive from me. And then there's others that are going to receive from the disciples. And it's going to go on and on and on. You know why we have multiple sites? Because we want to be a multiplying church. I don't want to grow up. I want to grow out. Listen, listen. Are the vision of this church really, and what I'm hoping we'll accomplish, and those are watching line here, a little vision casting for you is that we're going to grow, you know, in our, when, in the, before COVID, we, were, we had more people coming and things were happening and we were launching, but guess what? We're going to grow to about 500 maybe here. And then I'm going to take some of you and say, look it, you're going to go to the next site and start the next campus. Because I want to multiply. Now I want to go to all these different communities in San Diego. We're going to be like ant holes all over the city of San Diego. And we're going to take over communities like San Diego. We're going to multiply our San Diego. And I'm going to take the brothers and the sisters of this body and say, okay, now we're going to Barrio. Now we're in Encanto. Now we're in Lemon Grove. Now we're in Linda Vista. Now we're in North Park. Now we're in the South Bay. Now we're in the North County. We're just multiplying ourselves for the kingdom of God. That's what we're trying to do here. That's, that's, That's we're expanding the kingdom. We already have over 40 churches in Ethiopia. Some in Uganda. Pastor Marcos is going in February to check on our pastors through this COVID situation. That's the end of the earth. When he gave that message to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, remember that was in the Middle East. We're actually the end of the earth. (laughs) We're just reversing it. But we're actually the very end of that mission being here. But he's saying here, this gospel, as you're proclaiming it and you're multiplying it, may not always be pleasing to men, right? But it's pleasing to God. Some of the the message of the cross is foolishness for some. When you're sharing with people, it's foolishness. They don't understand it. Oh, religion's just for the weak. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. For when I am weak, he is strong. Right? 
Paul wanted this gospel to be appealing to people, but he would not compromise the gospel. He would not compromise the gospel. I understand that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the mind of men that they cannot see the truth of the gospel. This is not the kingdom we're going to be spending eternity in. This is the enemy's kingdom because he's the God of this world. And he's veiled people. He's blinded people that they cannot see the truth. So when you're ministering and you're trying to share with people and they don't understand it, understanding it's not physical, it's spiritual. That when you're trying to bring truth, you're helping them to unveil. You're helping them to remove the veil. What was the problem with the Jews? Their eyes were veiled because they didn't see Jesus as the Messiah. They were veiled. But when you keep proclaiming the truth, you're hoping that it unveils. Moses was veiled by the glory of God. We're coming now and we're proclaiming truth to cover the lie, to reveal the lie. And so that's the importance of why we're fasting and praying. But how would you go, if we're apostles declaring, guess what? We're to share with simple conversation. Share our words. Share this gospel message in a simple manner. Look at 5 through 7. For neither, any, neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor cloak for our covetous God as a witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as the apostle Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishing her own children. Keep your sharing simple. Keep your sharing simple, right? Use words that people can understand, okay? Don't get all theological. Don't get all deep. You know, if you've been walking the Lord and you're trying to blow people's minds with it, you know, they're going to look at you like, what are you talking about, right? Propitiation, what's that? I'm like, what? You know what I mean? Sanctification. Those are not, those are not terms that people use every day in the world. That's churchy words. Those are theological words. But the, if we're ministering to people, they don't understand those words. Don't try to, you know, like, oh, yeah, you must be really religious. Look at these fancy words. You know? Guys, you're not a car sales. You're not a car sales trying to close the deal. Okay? Share your truth and love. Bear a good witness. You, keep, you share with humility. That's verse 6. You share with humility, right? Don't act like you got your perfect life and everything's good. Yeah, I'm all together. Isn't that what the religious leaders did? They stood on corners when they fasted and said, look at me. Jesus called them hypocrites. Guys, we have brokenness in our lives. We have pains in lives. We have struggles in lives. And we might not even have all the answer for life. It's okay to share that with people. Because you're journeying with them in their life. And so we got to be show some authenticity. It's okay. Share your testimony. Share the difficulties. Even share your difficulties and what it even means to walk with God. You know, just because your faith come to faith doesn't mean everything's going to be good. It can actually get worse. When, when Moses had an encounter with, with, with God on the mountain, and he was called to, 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 to free the Egyptians, and God gave him a word, he gave him a mission, he gave him a message, and he goes to the people, and he tells the, the Israelites who are in bondage, hey, I'm your representative, and I'm going to, God's something to deliver you. And they're like, yeah, they're praising Moses, they're celebrating Moses. And then Moses goes to Pharaoh, and what happens? He says, let my people go. Hell no, you won't go. <laughs> Listen, what happened? 
He goes thinking he has his own boldness. He goes, oh, you want to go out and get the people and you think that you got your God sent you? I don't know your God. Take away the straw. People got to do the same thing without straw. It got worse before it got better. Moses had to go tell the people. He's like, hey, man, I just made it worse. <laughs> you don't think sometimes when you come to faith, all of a sudden everything's going to be easy street? It's not going to be easy street. We enter the kingdom through tribulation. And I'm not going to sell you a bids of goods to come follow Jesus because your life is going to get better. It just might get worse. Because this isn't a cheap gospel. It cost Jesus something. And he had some hard times too. Because foxes have holes and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So if you want this gospel, it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. You're a fish swimming upstream. You're going in counterculture. You're trying to walk in holiness and righteousness. Contrary to what we see today. But you got to be real with what the gospel is. And you share it with gentleness, with kindness, respect. They say sharing is caring, right? And we share with gentleness. What that means is sometimes we just need to listen to people when they talk. Let them tell their story. When I minister people and they don't know Jesus, I say, hey man, let me just tell me your story, man. People love to talk about themselves. <laughs> they do. Tell me, how'd you get here? Like, what, what's going on? And, and what's happening? And, and what's going on? All this stuff. And let him share about themselves. Because you know what it does? It brings down the dividing walls. It brings down the fear. It brings down the anxiety. Let me tell you. Let me hear your story. Man. And maybe there's something in there that could re resonate with you. You're, you're caring. You're trying to listen. Give an ear. Jesus listened when people spoke. When we're ministering that method, we're paying attention. We're listening to their story. We're not trying in our mind while they're speaking to figure out how you're going to combat their theology. Because a lot of us do that, right? Oh, okay, here's my checklist. Okay, they believe this, they believe that. Okay, I'm going to defeat these, these theologies. No. Listen. That God will give you the words. God will give you the words because you're giving respect and you're sharing. You're not trying to dispute with everything they say. In fact, Paul writes to the Colossian church, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to, ought to, to answer each one. You're asking for wisdom. In your sharing, you're asking God, give me wisdom that I can minister. But lastly, sharing is relational. Sharing is relational, right? Look at the last verse. Eight. So affectionately longing for you, we are well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become dear to us. You know what? Love for people. We talked about that earlier. Love for people. Love for the lost. He says, affectionately longing for you. Paul loved people. Just love on people, right? Your physical presence in their lives is a part of sharing the gospel. Do you have relationships with people that don't know Jesus? I encourage that. Because you're being a part of their life as they go through journey in life. And guess what happens? What if they hit a storm in their life? What if they get a, hit, a, hit a difficulty in their life? Who are they going to call? Not Ghostbusters. They're going to call you. They're going to ask you for prayer. They're going to ask you for that. I got a call this week from a, a woman in the church whose son got arrested. and You know who he called? He didn't call his homies. He called his mommy. And you know what they did? They prayed on the phone. <laughs> Your friends ain't going to call their homies or when they go to, they're going to call people they know they're going to pray for them and care for them. 
when we're in that place in relationship where we're laying down our lives and giving our lives away, that opens up the door for the gospel. That opens the door. We're not throwing rocks. We're not cursing them. We're not saying you're terribly people. We're not coming out, holding signs out, you're going to hell, all that stuff. Though that's our theological truth. Yeah, hell is real. But the truth is, he says, his kindness led men to repentance. The kindness of God led men to repentance. Right? When he met with the woman at the well in the Samaritan story, it was, her, it was his kindness. When he met with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the, the, the gangster of the Old Testament, it was his kindness. He had a meal with him. They sat down and he poured his life into that. Invest your lives into others. That's our method. God's declared us. We listen. We pour our lives down. Right? We speak with clarity. We, we speak in language that people understand as we talked about the message of the gospel. They don't understand the words in here. Guys, when you came to faith, did you understand this thing right away? I didn't. I didn't, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't know what the words meant. I didn't know who the churches were. I had no idea. It took a little time to understand this. Right? I didn't see the full picture at the beginning. But I had to just keep learning. Well, understand, you're going to people that have no biblical background. They're not going to get your theology. But they'll get your love. Amen? So I leave you with these things. Number one, our mission. Right? We've been empowered to be witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. Our message. This is the message of the gospel, right? He died for our sins. He was buried, rose again on the third day, and he's coming back again. And then our method, right? Speak clearly. Love people. Be patient. Listen as you're sharing this message. That's our mission. It's simple. So my challenge to you this week is, who is one person, two people that you can pray for, that you can, as Sandra played, I can be bold to share. Who is that one person I can just share with? But you don't go to them yet. You know why? I want you to pray. I want you to pray, God, open up the door for me to share because I know if you open up the door, you've already made a way. God will supernaturally meet you in that prayer. And I want you, I want you pray, pray. Write that name down, who it is, pray for them, and wait to see how God opens up that door. And then when he does, you know God's already gone before you. And the words will be received because God's already gone before you. Amen? Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning, for your love and blessings, for your goodness and mercy and grace. And I pray, Father, as we've been looking at our E4 purpose these last couple of weeks as a church, we looked at us expressing love to, to you and to others. We, we looked at equipping the believers, Lord, to be taught, to be trained. We talked about empowerment last week, being empowered to serve and to go like the seventy. And today we talked about evangelism to proclaim, Lord, to those that are near and to those that are far. Lord, put that and print that in our heart that we never forget our mission and our purpose. And that, Father, we'll live this out, whether it's in our own home or whether it's in our job or whether it's on the street or whether it's in the supermarket, wherever it may be, Lord. Father, give us a love for people. Somebody loved me and told me the message. May I love others and tell them the message. And we thank you and we praise you and we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.